I feel like that is maybe the only reason we're here. It's some remedial simulation where it's like, all right, we're going to put you in again, Shade. We're going to drop you in for the 50 trillionth time. And really, remember, you won't remember, but follow that feeling. You're just supposed to give people food. Yeah, See what yeah. happens when you do it. It's it's really wild. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like I'm sorry to be sanctimonious here. I, I'm a no, selfish a, motherfucker, and it's like like I'm just saying. I would say give it a shot. See what happens. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance, with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast, doing something a little bit different today, a little deviation from the norm. I'm actually having one of my favorite people, one of my best friends in the whole wide yeah. world on the show, Duncan Trussell, hello. joining us. Hello, hello, hello. Duncan, I... I uh, normally have academic scientists on this podcast i so just got nothing done. has changed uh, <laughs> exactly i just had uh yesterday i had a long recording about butterflies and the ins and outs of butterfly evolution and mm. and that sort of thing yeah and i i never uh i i haven't i had a podcast where i talked with comics like eight years ago or something, but I've, I've, I've had like three comics on this show ever. You're one of them. I thought it would I'm be, honored. well, one, you're one of my favorite people in the world. Thank you. And two, uh, Christmas is around the corner. I Thank feel God. like I never, uh, I never talk about spirituality and mysticism and that sort of thing on this podcast that much. Uh, I, we have some of the most fantastic conversations in that regard. When I get to, uh, the good fortune of being on the Duncan Trussell family hour. And so, uh, so I reached out to you to chat and then I was thinking, I don't even know your origin story, not to be like the newspaper reporter person, like what got you started in comedy, but I it occurred to radio me. I sucked a radioactive spider's dick. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And then you became a comedian? Yeah, yeah. After that? Irresistible penis on this thing. And you would think like, you know, arachnids. <laughs> like, sure. yeah. oh my God. And then, yeah, I, you know, I was into it and. So, wait, so this the spider, you just saw it on the ground, like uh, belly, no, belly it was up? on the wall. It was on uh, the wall. Okay, and then yeah. you saw the penis, and you're like, I just got to get on It vibrated telepathically. It, 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 like, it, it, like, that's why spiders talk, is they do this like, vibratory thing. Yeah, and I was like, no, I've had some researchers on, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, can you, would you mind sucking my dick? And oh, I was wow. like, you know what? Let's do it. And so, and then it like, I should have thought this is a giant fucking spider. Yeah. And, you know, I should have thought like they're probably it's radioactive. I yeah. didn't. And then, yeah, yeah. swallowed its cum and came to, and I was living in Los wow. Angeles working at the comedy store. And then you're just an open micer. I was an open that. micer. Wow. I came to doing an open mic in Los Angeles. <laughs> It was fucked That's up. A, it's a very unconventional path 
Yeah, really. yeah. You don't you don't hear a lot of origin stories quite like that. Yeah, no, that's the story. No, you know, I so basically, uh, I I I went to, I fucked around for a great many years after I graduated high school. I ended up at a liberal arts school called Warren Wilson College where I got a degree in psychology. I thought I was going to get a doctorate in psychology. Uh, really? Yes. And um, then upon graduating, I thought, and because it was, you know, a, a, it's like a true liberal arts school where, you know, one of my favorite professors there, the first class, he, he said with complete seriousness, he's like, y'all need to drop out. Like you shouldn't be in school right now. What are you doing? Your life's going to pass you by. And you're like getting these degrees and he, and he meant it. Like he was like, the, like the school let teachers like that work there. Uh, that's he, amazing. He's like, and he, he was like, just go to India. You don't need to be here. You should go travel around the world. You're going to get into debt, you know? And, and like, it was the best. So that was the kind of school it was another class was a class about activism. And so this, if you took that class, you would get arrested because they would go and like lock themselves in front of the school of America's like where they, the CIA trains people to do coups and shit. You know what I mean? Like the, the fucking, like it was a work college. So all the students work. So the, what college is this? It's called Warren Wilson college. Interesting. It's 400, 600 students. It's like a radical, it's a beautiful school, man. But, but, um, so by the time I got out of there, you know, I, I had gotten that spirit of, of like, you know, go explore the world, you know? And, and, and so then I went to Los Angeles, not for any other reason than I thought it'd be cool to go to LA and then, you know, quickly ran out of money, had to get a job. And so I applied at the comedy store to work on the phones. Cause I thought it'd be cool to work at a comedy club. And then, then I started working in this fucking crazy comedy club, knowing nothing, knowing nothing about, I mean, like this, I knew so little about comedy at the time that like, um, at one point the Montreal comedy festival called and I was, had no idea who they were. And there's like someone from Montreal and I was like, okay, I was blew them off kind of, you know, got in a little bit of trouble. They're like, that's the fucking Montreal comedy festival. <laughs> You know, but, but like, I know I, I, it wasn't like a snobby, like, what are you guys? Like, I had no idea about anything. And, yeah. and so, and I started working for Mitzi. She, uh, liked me, made me the talent coordinator of the comedy store. Like, again, all this shit was just like, I had no idea what, what I was doing. And during that time I started doing stand up, and then Rogan saw me have a good set and he started taking me on the road with him. And then. That's and you're, you're like in your early 20s still? No, this is late 20s, oh, okay. 30s, because I fucked off before okay. I went to college. And I so the, like the, the final little piece of this story is, you know, I was like, uh, you know, my it was this is one of the biggest moments of my life. I've had a few big moments where like various people have said things that sunk into my soul. And I'm pumping gas with this comic, Freddie Soto, who passed away uh and and um he thought i was funny and the reason he thought i was funny is because i was when i was working in the cover booth i was like ask i was telling him that my sister had seen him perform i don't have a sister i was telling him my sister saw him perform and i was like would you fuck my sister 
please. She wants to fuck you. And he believed it. And we like, he was like, really believed it. It was like kind of interested, it seemed like. And then like when he realized I've been trolling him, he thought that was so funny. And so, so this, so like, I remember I'm pumping gas into the comedy store van and he lays it on me, man. He goes, I think you're funny. And he's like, it's going to take time for you to learn how to do comedy, maybe 10 years, maybe more. And he's like, but that's how long it's going to take you to get a doctor to, to go to school, to go to graduate school. It's going to be about yeah. the same amount of time. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? You want to do you really want to like be a scientist or research psychologist or do you? He was like, do you really want to do that? Or, or would you rather, you know, be a performer and and uh, do comedy? Because he read me. He knew what I really wanted, you know. And so. Yeah. But I'll never forget that because it was the first time an actual comic, a working comic had like, you know, sort of encouraged me to, to follow that part of my personality. And, and so, yeah, that was I guess that's like the when I made the when I had the epiphany of like, oh, yeah. Why not just try this crazy shit? Yeah. And and in terms of your podcast, because I I wasn't on for the first time until I don't know if it was like seven years ago or something like that, but it was the Duncan Trussell family hour. But before that, you it was like you and Natasha, right? Or Yeah, that's right. That- so Natasha and I start a podcast before people knew what podcasts were called the Lavender Hour. And we just would interview people. And we didn't know what podcasting was. We used Libsyn at the time. It was really obscure when we were doing it. Only a few people were doing podcasts. Most people were like, what the fuck is this? It still meant something, the word podcast, because people still had iPods, you know? So, like, the word meant something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then... I forgot about the connection to iPods. Yeah. (laughs) That's how long it's been. The name of the thing is connected to a now obsolete technology. And I don't think people even, a lot of people don't even know that. And like, yeah, so we started doing a a podcast together and then we broke up and I just changed the name of the podcast. She let me keep the subscribers and then it like evolved into my pot, the DTFH. How, how did you go from, uh, someone that was interested in going to school for psychology and uh, even considering becoming a researcher into uh, someone you're, you have so many, you have so many interests. You're clearly a very bright person, but you, you're also, you're very into stuff that is like not traditionally like sciencey, like more mysticism and, uh, yeah. Buddhism and and those sorts of things. Did that start early on in life, or was that later? Yeah, it, it did. It started early on. But th- when I was in school, I minored in religion, so I was taking, and I there was like uh, some really great teachers there who like imparted, um, you know, a a lot of like really cool information about mysticism and spirituality and this in a, in a you know that's it's such a fucking privilege to go to college, man. It's like a, it's like for four years, you're just absorbing data. I mean, that's your job is to just absorb information. It was the coolest thing. Um, and that, that along with like lots of LSD and psychedelics and, you know, but you, well, here's something that 
I think is I've been thinking about lately because in the beginning you were you know you're differentiating mysticism from science right or right. the mystical. We have from a lot science. of these conversations. Yeah, yeah, but but like wh- I think wh- the whole thing the whole thing across the board is mystical, not in the sense that it's mysterious, but in the sense that it's um, I-, I think beautiful at a, at a, a level that transcends most ideas of beauty. It's that kind of like when you, regardless of the origin story of life, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whether it's some like, uh, advanced alien simulation programmer who decided to run some kind of simulation, or it's just what happens when enough chemicals swirl around in the centrifuge of time long enough, regardless of the origin of the thing, it is spectacular and inspiring in the deepest way, you know? So I don't think there's much of a difference between, and I know this differs probably from myst, my, mystics who think, no, science is missing the whole point or scientists are like, mm-hmm. fuck that mysticism superstitious dri- drivel, you know? But I think the whole, th- it, it's all mysticism, yeah, you know, the I- whole thing. I, I actually, the, the name of my podcast, it's, it's here we are because I, uh, I used to, um, when I got deeper and deeper and deeper into learning about science and especially evolution and the things that, um, the billions of years of life on earth that led to this and the, the many ways that it could have gone differently, the many ways in which, I'm primed to perceive things that I'll never be privy to and and just how expansive the universe is. And it, there's just moments when I get kind of so lost in awe that uh, it, it's almost too much for me. Yeah. And I just have to go, oh, well, here we are. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's just it's, yeah. it's kind of my little version of a be here now sort of. Exactly. That yeah, mm-hmm. and the, you know the 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 mechanism of differentiation that is necessary for society to function and for human communities to exist and all of that. It's this double-edged sword because, it, you know, what ends up happening is this kind of inevitable labeling of this is this and that is that and like so you you know I I just did a podcast with um Devendra Banhart and I was talking to him about like how. To, you know, how do you maintain a spiritual practice while constantly being on the road and, you know, always touring and all that goes along with being a tour musician. And he's like, I, there's no difference. I don't differentiate the two. Mm-hmm. And that was, a. I needed to hear that because I'd been compartmentalizing. Okay. This is when I'm doing my podcast and this is when I'm doing comedy and this is when I'm spiritual. And this is when, it, when I'm with my family. And it's like that compartmentalization is just arbitrary. I was, you know, just like having a, it's like having a, yeah. a, a projector putting some spreadsheet onto the totality of your life. Yeah. And then in that you suddenly start, <laughs> it's like that. What it means is here's where I play the game of podcaster. Here's where I play the game of parent. Here's where I play the game of spiritual person. Here's where I play the game of artist. Right. And yeah. so, it, so you're creating these stupid basketball courts. That, Got that 10 minutes of mindfulness in today. Yeah, exactly. glad, glad I'm done with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think like, 
what what you know that's what one of the amazing things science does is it like produces that in a way that allows us to understand and manipulate matter in the most incredible ways you like i'm not saying that that projection is bad it's necessary it works you know it's like i don't want my fucking doctor you know to operate on me uh, in the same way he drinks or whatever, you know, there are games that need to be played in various yeah. environments, but if you crystallize those boundaries too much, then you end up having a kind of schizoid experience of the, the totality of everything. And, and you miss out on, at least I have missed out on a lot of stuff because of that, you know? Hmm. hmm. You feel like you've missed out? I, I mean, I, f- I feel like you're I feel like you're a pretty, uh, pretty fluid guy. I, I feel like that's that's not too far off from that revelation isn't too far off from a lot of what you were already bringing to the experience of of life. I mean, well, sometimes, but yeah. it's easy to forget, Shane. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's just like you're you know, it's it's the classic example that gets used so many times. It's rather annoying is traffic. You know, when you're in fucking traffic, right? And you're, you don't want to be there anymore. And you're yeah. looking around at people and they all look like half dead zombies because nobody wants to be there. You're in some collective river of aversion, generally, <laughs> right? People using a variety of methods to take themselves out of that situation, whether it's listening to audiobooks or talking on their phone or what jerking off, whatever the fuck it is people are doing. And so, this is a place that is as mystical as any other place. It's a place that, that has within it as much of the this divine spark or whatever you want to call it as any other place. Right. And so if you forget that, then you're going to start getting really bored. You're going to really experience a, a real profound kind of suffering. And that's what I mean by missing out. Or mm-hmm. if like you start to, you know, a bit, here's another thing. This is a bit, this is like with my meditation teacher, the first conversation we had was I said to him something that I've heard from other people a lot, which is, you know, I'm somebody who needs a lot of space. I need a lot of space. And he goes, what space? Like, what do you mean by space? Tell me, I didn't know this guy. He's a musician and I'd seen him in this Kirtan, Krishna Das, this Kirtan singer. He plays guitar in his band. Um, but uh, he's, I didn't know he was the student of this, of Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche or in this lineage of Buddhism that's incredible. But it was just this really wonderful question. What do you mean by space? What's space? Mm-hmm. And I'd never thought about that all this time. I've been being one of those people who's like, oh, I need so much space, but I never even thought, what does that fucking mean? Space? What does that even mean? You know, cause really what it, what, it, what I was, what it, in retrospect, I think what I was saying is I suffer. My suffering is mitigated. If I surround myself with a controllable environment is really what it means. Like mm-hmm. I can let my ego flourish in a place where no one's around and I can control every variable, you know, it's easier in that place. That's what I meant by space or like I, when I, I, I recover when I'm completely by myself. In other words, I have all this, all these conditions that for me to achieve what I was perceiving as happiness, these all, these things all have to be lined up. I need to be in a room by myself nothing to do for hopefully maybe a day or at least six hours 
where I could just sit in there and quote zone out or whatever, you know? And, um, you know, I think that the more you come up with, again, that kind of compartmentalization, what people call this is a safe space or whatever, then the more you will produce a, a, a situation of suffering in places where you're not in that optimal condition that you, you know, where you're not in the place you consider to be, this is exactly where I'm going to be happy. Um, mm. yeah. So yeah, the, the missing out thing that I'm saying is it's like the, the question is what if you could achieve those, that kind of sense of freedom or peace or whatever you want to call it, regardless of the phenomena around you being lined up in this way or that, is it that possible? Interesting. I, I, I had a, I have, because of this time of year, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. I had a, I was talking with this very type A, I have this friend who's, uh, he's a business professor. He is the most kind of type A, um, kind of Tony Robbins-ish sort of uh, character in my life. And uh, but he, he's like, he's very skeptical of things. And, uh, and he was asking me once I, uh, uh, his name's Peter McGraw. I was on his podcast and he was I asking him. me, he's, he's brilliant. Yeah. Oh yeah. You met Peter, but, uh, he was asking me if I have a ritual and I was like, at the, it was funny. It, it never occurred to me. I was like, I, I, I'd always, I had a religious upbringing that I, that I didn't really care for. I didn't, I, I wasn't really allowed to question it. I wasn't allowed to ask questions and be curious mm. about it. I just kind of had to like go through whatever routines and so I kind fucked. of rejected all of those uh, things. And so anything for, for much of my life, anything that had like a whiff of that in any, even, even, um, uh, just anything popular, anything like spectator sports or anything yeah. like that. I was just like, get it away from me. And um, it kind of knee jerk contrarian. And and so when I hear the word ritual, it, it has this kind of uh, silly, traditional kind of vibe to it intuitively to me. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, I, I don't, I, I know all of the research about it, not all of it, but I know plenty of research about building habits and the importance of having practices like that and having these little rewards and routines that you go through. And I look around and I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a mess all of the time. And I'm always so disorganized. Why would I be scared to have a couple of rituals in my life? And mm -hmm. I, and ever since that time, it was just a few months ago, I'm like, I need some rituals. What yeah. would a ritual be in my life? And, and, you know, and, 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 it's funny because years ago when I got deeply, really, really, really into religion or uh, evolution, rather, it made me appreciate religion much more than I did before that time. It made me appreciate the uh, the ways in which um, in which kind of memes and cultural transmissions have uh, have helped humans so much and the importance of having some of these kind of rituals passed through uh, through time and things that, uh, we, we just unmind under matter. We are just doing a Christmas episode and talking about the 
origins of winter solstice and yeah. kind of you know the uh the longest night of the year and and it's kind of that's that's the time when you want to start butchering the meat because it's it's no longer benefiting you to feed the uh, the stuff and and so now you're going to have all this extra meat around and and you know you get to celebrate and blow off steam and this is an absolutely brutal time of year if it's yeah. if it's winter and you don't have electricity if you, if you don't have shelters in the yeah. way that we think of them now and and uh you know these are there's a lot of death involved and everything else and and it's made me appreciate all of that stuff. And I, I was just curious because I guess I'm most fascinated with your interest in Buddhism because it's one of the things that I've I, I've always found myself um, the most receptive towards and makes the most sense when I when I hear about it. And yeah. I, I, I'm just curious what your relationship is to various kind of traditions and rituals in your life. Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, I, having like before, like one of my first encounters with like organized religion that that I really connected with, it was in at a Laguna Beach Hard Krishna temple, where it was Jamastami, which is the 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 the, the, the like it's basically Christmas for Krishna, the appearance mm -hmm. day of Krishna, and you know I was watching this ritual happen in this temple. Uh, it was it's beautiful. I mean. You know, I, I think one thing that's really important, especially for people who've been like born into places where they got spirit, or I, 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 I'm not saying it's an intentional form of abuse, but I think if you are inviting a child to forsake their rational mind mm -hmm. and accept things that are clearly illogical, I think that's a form of abuse. And I, I don't I like not not like the kind of abuse where you're whipping someone with a belt or abuse that's coming from anger or aggression. But I can't think of any other word for it, because if we're to, you know, one, I think one of the <clears throat> one of the most important things when it comes to survival is your ability to listen to that rational mind, you know, and yeah, to distinguish yeah from your own super superstition will get you killed, you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, if you're inviting someone in there when their brain is still developing to ignore that part of themselves that needs to question, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does that happen? How does the snake talk? The snake has vocal cords. Does the snake have a tongue? What would it sound like when it talked? <laughs> right, right. How could it even make sounds? Like what? I thought snakes just hissed. I don't understand. Don't ask that. Stop asking that. I, I remember when I was very little, I got this, I got this big, like Noah's Ark toy. Uh, I don't know how young I was, like four or something like that, or three or something. And had all these animals and stuff. And I loved the thing. And I played with it so much that I just started thinking like, wait, all of the animals would fit in it. And yeah. I just had like very, just natural, curious childlike yeah. questions that yeah. would get like shut down in a like jarring kind of way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot. And a lot of, you know, depending on what religion you're in, that shutdown could also could be um, conducted with literal abuse. Some yeah, kids yeah. get beaten. Some kids get put in closets. Some, you know, so it, it's a, uh, it's to me, I only mention that because what ends up happening is having 
experienced a natural, the natural kind of revulsion that you feel as a child when the part of you that is, as far as I'm concerned, like your soul is being stifled uh, mm-hmm. by superstitious people, uh, tribalistic superstitious people. Then when you encounter a, a, a ritual, like the one that I was watching on Jamastomy, then that part of your mind can kick in and it can start going, this is bullshit. What the, f- look at these quaint, primitive idiots doing this stupid thing. What is this? And what ends up, ha- and so this is also, uh, this is a reactionary, uh, this is a reactionary kind of way of experiencing these rituals, which are so beautiful, especially if you allow yourself to just experience them as they are. In mm. other words, this, the feeling, the sensation, the smells, what the sound of the chanting, you know, then all of a sudden what, what, what can, what can happen is that regardless of the why in the same way, it's like origin of life. I, I, I think it's safe to say we can speculate. We don't know. And I love that mystery. Doesn't mean that it's mystical. And I, that's one thing I love about science is like, just because we don't know how it happens doesn't therefore mean it's God. That's, that's one possibility. It's not the only possibility, but just enjoying the phenomena itself, you know, minus mm. the, um, minus etching whatever your skeptical or non-skeptical thing is on it, you will get to experience something that can be prof- powerful. And so for me, that, that what happened was um, I, I was like a little stoned and then it felt like, I don't know, like it was like a, the, the, a film of my own projections just got ripped off of the ritual. And it felt like I was in the presence of like the most advanced intelligence that I had something so something so profound that my brain spit out this is what it's like to be on a ufo is what i thought <laughs> because my brain was grappling with yeah. um what what from my own subjective speculation uh, when i consider it was an encounter with the with god and mm-hmm. it was uh it was like it was like meeting in something uh, uh something outside of this dimension that was sort of protruding into this dimension via this thing that our minds were converting into a symbol set. But it was, but also it was a realization, a very humbling kind of um, realization of like my secularist, liberal arts, you know, anthropological attempt to like assess the thing from an academic perspective or from an analytical perspective or from whatever that was just trying to control something that was like much bigger than me and not bigger, not just in size, but in intelligence and age and everything. And so um, that to me, I think that is like the value of rituals, collective rituals like that is that they offer an opportunity to encounter something that is uh, transformative and life-changing. My personal rituals though, right now, like right now, my personal rituals are parenting. You know, I get yeah. up, I lay in bed with the kids and my wife. I take uh, Forrest to school. I, I come to my podcast studio. And depending on what day of the week it is, 
I either do our weekly meditation where, you know, I sit for 20 minutes or I start preparing the podcast. Then I go home and I try to spend time with the kids. I put Forrest to bed, uh, which is a wonderful ritual, which is actually very like of all my the rituals I'm going through right now. That's the most uh, ritualistic of them all, because it's like it's like brushing his teeth, combing his hair reading him stories, rocking him, singing You Are My Sunshine to him, which he likes, <laughs> or a song I invented about like drinking <laughs> cicada sauce, which he really likes. And then, <laughs> and then, and then I put him to bed. And uh, do, you, do you ever, I, I love the idea of, uh, I, I like when, when, there's a there's a couple people I don't know have you ever seen John Doerr's uh, videos with his uh, daughter no by chance oh they're just hilarious uh, and and it, Dan Cummins and I used to hang out um, quite a bit more when we both lived in L A but and I I would see him do this with his kids where he it was like uh, it, it, like he just kind of messed with them. Uh, so much and it was like it, it, it seemed like such a fun thing to do but I'm like I don't, I was just screwing up your children to lie to them but I, as you were saying that I was like it, it would be so much fun just to have your kids believe that those songs that you make up are just regular old children's songs that every child knows and then show up to uh to school and have those cicada uh, songs and expect everyone to know them. Oh my God. I, that's the thing though. Kids are so, that's so like open that they will just learn. Like they'll, they'll happily sing a cicada saw song. They don't give a fuck about like the lineage of the song or anything like that. That's what we adults do. Kids are right. like, they're so malleable and they're such ritualistic creatures in the sense that like they, you know, being on the, like hanging on a playground with Forrest and a bunch of kids and just watching how quickly they will adapt, just invent a game, whatever it may be, you know, like, it, like watching these like waves of imitation move through like the collective of kids as they play. Also, what's not so much related to rituals or anything is what's amazing about kids is they're when you meet a kid on the playground, it's two ships passing in the night, man. Like they, they're not, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to see that kid again. Probably you just like, <laughs> you're always meeting these little humans that you have this brief bit of fun with, and then you you never see them again. So there's something really to me, beautiful about that. And like prof profound in their just natural understanding of like, yeah, I'll probably never see you again, but they don't care. They're not mm -hmm. even thinking about that. But yeah, rituals, Shane, I think that like, um, I, you know, again, like the, the, it's our minds want to create, okay, this is a ritual because it was taught to me by someone dressed in a robe. This isn't a ritual because it's something I adapted on my own. I'm guaranteed mm -hmm. that you have lots of rituals that you do. I, you must, everyone does. You comb yeah, right. your hair, you wake up in the morning, you eat, you know, you, you, there's all kinds of things that you do the way that you pay for things, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the unconscious movements that you make when you're having conversations, all of these things are rituals. Like all of these things are ritualistic muscle memory level things. It's just because 
you came up with it, there's an assumption that it's not as magical as, okay, this is, here is the ritual that has been being done for thousands of years with the incense and the conch shells and the feathers and all, and that, and that somehow it means more because there's a story attached to it. And the story is usually it's old. We don't know where it came from. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, it's very ancient, ancient things are magical and yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, it's like, Oh, guess what else is old eating, you know, put bringing food to my fucking lips is old. And we've been doing that a lot longer, probably than your conch shell ritual, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's old as fuck, man. And so, but so it's like that shift from, from sort of the habitual movements throughout the day to keep your body alive to the recognition of how like incredible it is this thing that we're doing how amazing it is that our 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 bodies are so uh so so good at converting things just to muscle memory and that's Mm -hmm. another gift of having kids you know all the shit you take for granted you watch your child try to eat for the first time bringing food to their lips and you know the dogs man surround dune our youngest like <laughs> it's like seagulls around a, a fishing boat man because it's rains it just yeah, rains yeah. food because he's learning how to bring food to his lips right yeah. we do that no problem just like not even thinking about it you can have a conversation and eat and chew you're not choking yeah. That's another thing kids will do. They don't know how to chew their food all the way. So yeah. like it's scary because every once in a while they'll start choking because they put too much in. They don't know. So again, like the ritual, the, just the, there is a a term that I love. It's Sanatan Dharma or Sanatan Dharma, the eternal way, the eternal religion. The eternal religion is what it means. This is the idea that there's a sort of perennial religion that transcends all the symbol sets of all the religions. And um, that, that is, that, that religion is open for anybody and it's, you're already experiencing it. You're part of it. We're Mm. all part of it. It's the religion of human humanity or the religion of life. And, and it's as beautiful as any, any temple or any cathedral. And, And in fact, temples and cathedrals really are just sort of like, things that are meant to remind you of the more spectacular reality that's all around you at any given moment. Yeah. I've, I've always thought that with, um, I, I kind of, I sort of changed my approach to uh, comedy or podcasting or other things or when I do it myself or, and also when I experience going to live shows, I, I realized I, I had a moment. It, it was especially profound after uh, I, I was having a manic episode during a <laughs> during a Roger Waters concert. That was that was an especially fantastic show. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, that's just the show to remind you that this is all a show. Yeah. And and it, 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 instead of, uh, it, you know, I. Early on in, say, my comedy career was, I was so wrapped up in getting, I used to time all of my material. I would, 
I would mathematically, I would look at the number of laughs. I would rate how loud the laughs were and figure out how many I was getting per minute and figure out words that I could take out to get more laughs per minute and all these things. And, and, you know, it's people, you get a bunch of laughs and then people go, Hey, hey, good show. You know, they, they got laughs. They got that like. 45 yeah. minutes of a you know positive experience or a wee roller coaster yeah. or something but um but but to actually to to think about it more in terms of oh we we want people to see the funny in life to take with them to see things afterwards that they'll remember that will change their perception remind them that this is all a show outside of this uh changes the way that you uh, that you present ideas and and present the, uh, you know present comedy yeah do podcasts host shows and uh, and whatever else so yeah that's that's something that I uh, I think is just like you were saying kind of the the rigid categorizations of this is this time and then this is that time is yeah another it's also funny too the the other the other side of we often say, uh, it, you know, we'll also we'll often talk negatively about some of these patterns that we form too. About uh, like we have these bad habits, or yeah. we take things for granted, or yeah. you get stuck in a rut, or you're just you're just an automaton on autopilot, and you're not mindful, you're not paying yeah. attention. But if it, it, that's also just part of learning. Like if if your brain never did that, you would be eating food like that your your entire life. You you know, seeing I, I I'm sur- sure seeing your children walk for their first time was one of the most exciting experiences you as a parent can have. But if your kids still walking around like that when they're twenty, yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, thanks a while. Face and tumbling around. That's that's a real issue. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And and you know, again, I think that's the that is sort of a it's like the plateau experience uh is is so important. And what 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 like I've noticed that there's like peep there's these peak experience addicts out there and they're Oh, I'm trying. one of them. I've been trying to get right with boredom for like the last about four, three, four years ago. I had a real kind of epiphany about it and get right I've with been, boredom. I've been working on it ever since. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, see, the, the, this is like the, the, you find yourself experiencing a plateau or, or whatever it is. And, you know, nothing, you're not, you know, nothing that exciting is going on, whether mm-hmm. it's an exciting catastrophe or exciting success or whatever. And so then that's, yeah, that's where some people start getting very nervous. Something's off here. What's wrong. And, um, again, it's like the, you, what you, what you're forgetting during that plateau is that the thing you're considering a plateau is would 10 years ago, probably be a peak experience for you you know, based on all the shit you've learned in between now and then. But once I'm learning how to play piano. So now when I play piano, the shit I can play on the piano now compared to a year ago, if I was playing that a year ago, I would be like, what the 
fuck, this is a, how am I doing this? But now I know how I'm doing it. My neurons have transformed because of the repetition of scales and just trying to play stuff. So it's easy to me now, but somehow that ease, it can, could, you can be, you can think, ah, oh, this is boring. Or you could feel like, ah, oh, I'm stuck in a rut. Cause all I could do is play these scales and I can't really perfectly play some of the songs I want to play, or I can't get my hands to work in this way that they need to do to play this song or whatever the fuck. And so, yeah, then you find yourself experiencing, you know, a, a, an interesting form of suffering because hmm. for a lot of people, the, the, what we alchemize our suffering, the suffering stays the same. If, this is what, this is, I think why mindfulness practice is really important because you start, you, you begin to understand suffering. And so the, 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 the cycle of suffering for a lot of people starts at the plateau. So here you are, you're at the plateau, you're suffering. And so you don't want to suffer anymore. So your mind produces a possible method that you can use to get out of the plateau, get to the top of the next peak that you want to get to. And for depending on your personality and your life experience, this varies wildly from person to person. It could be, okay, in two months, I'm going to go to South America. I'm going to drink ayahuasca, do the dieta, speak to mother ayahuasca, and then have a, a transcendent experience. And so you, you, the plateau now turns into a pilgrimage because it's no longer a plateau. You're preparing to go do whatever the thing it is. Or maybe you, you're like, I, I, I'm fat right now. I need to lose some weight. So the, that's your plateau is you're like, I'm not satisfied with the way I am right now. So I'm going to start, I'm going to go on this diet. I'm going to exercise. And now you're, you've transformed the plateau into this pilgrimage, whatever the fucking thing is. So then you, now you're distracting yourself with all the preparation for the next thing that you're going to peek at, but you're still experiencing the suffering. It's just now you're thinking now the suffering is like, ah, oh, I'm tired from working out or, ah, oh, fuck tomorrow. I've got to get up early and work out or, oh, I don't want I want to eat sugar, but I'm going to resist. So now you're playing this game with the suffering. You've alchemized a sort of basic suffering, which was the plateau, a kind of actual, very pure experience of suffering, because why would I be suffering? I've achieved where I wanted to be. This is the place I tried to get to. Now I'm here. Why would I be suffering? What, what would that be? Instead of asking yourself that, you're like, I'm going to get rid of the suffering now. Okay. So now we're, it's like having a pool of water and pouring the water into an ice cube tray and putting it into the freezer. It's still water. It's just in a different state. Now it's in little cubes, but you can imagine that you have some control over the water. You've same with suffering. So then you get to your, the peak, you do the thing. And then it's the next day after you've reached whatever the fucking peak it was you were trying to get to. And you know, you, you, you'll start feeling this weird thing of like, well, I did that. And then the suffering begins to set in again, the plateau suffering, and then the cycle repeats itself. But essentially the point is all suffering, no matter what. And, and, and this is a controversial thing that gets a lot of people are like, that sounds incredibly pessimistic or incredible. I don't call my happiness suffering or my achievement suffering or my joy suffering. How could you call it that? What are you talking about? And it's like, well, for you, maybe it isn't, but mm -hmm. I think it's important to really do a strong analysis of, of the entire spectrum of experience. And what, what you start realizing is it's like, 
the the suffering it, 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 there's a lot of suffering even in like the bliss states and then oh, yeah. all it's covers also in the in in like the most desperate catastrophic situations if you spend a little bit of mindfulness like letting yourself experience the fear that you're feeling or feeling the totality of the negative emotions you'll realize there's a paradoxical sort of bliss within mm. the pain and so this in buddhism is called uh is the idea that nirvana and samsara are intertwined or that wrapped what, around what's samsara samsara could be uh, called confusion okay. you know the the general confused uh autopilot uh reality where you are feeling trapped a, ca a kind of claustrophobic dizzying experience of uh, a sort of uh, the never-ending unrelenting cycle of uh of uh pain in your life or that just the kind of uh, confusing reality of being a human i mean it's very like the, yeah. the fundamental it insecurity of being a human I, I I touch on this a, a fair amount on the show. I I, I tell this uh, to people quite a bit. I, I'm a big believer later on in life of small incremental gains because it's a, of the stories that I told myself about uh, early on in life about what dreams would do for me and and you know that that would well I'm unhappy now but once I get this thing then I'll be happy and yeah. and you know and. Figuring out that treadmill in a hurry, and a, a lot. Some people haven't haven't gotten there yet. They haven't accomplished that thing that they've told themselves. So, so from from their point of view, it sounds like very privileged to be like, oh yeah, I've I've had so many dreams come true or goals accomplished that I've I've take them all for granted and they weren't enough for me or whatever. But it's it's just this inevitable. <laughs> part of life that you're going to have to deal you, you you might work really hard and go to school then you're going to become a professor and then you get a tenure and then one day you have a break and you tell your whole class to get the hell out of there and mm. live their life and not waste money and yeah and maybe in that inspire a future comedian or something but but uh but it's it's something that we're all going to uh to deal with whether whether you're whether you're going up or down in life, you're still going to hit those plateaus. And, and exactly. And this in Buddhism is dukkha. It's the first noble truth. So, so, uh, which is there is suffering. And so this is the, this, so if you're a very expert at, if you are an, an expert at samsara, then you will get really good at making your finish line is very far away. So mm -hmm. if we can make the finish line five years down the road, then for five years, we have a, a, an explanation for our suffering. So if we say, you know, at the, after I graduate and whatever happens and I have this much money in my bank account, this is when I will achieve, this is when peace will come. And so now for five years, you get to have all of your suffering and you have a reason for the suffering that makes sense. The, the reason I'm suffering is because I haven't achieved the place I want to be. And so that is a, it's a, it's a, a really like um, expert way of dealing with this problem that is more fundamental is a fundamental reality of, of being human. And so 
Um, this is a. If you do this well enough, if you're if you're good enough at it, then you will go. You will die. You will spend an entire lifetime running away from yourself to try to achieve a thing, and it never working out. Because what happens is you achieve the thing, and then you're like, well, you know, this isn't. This is definitely where I wanted to be, I guess. But now, you know, I need to whatever it is like with comedy, it might be you're a young comedian, you book a commercial or something. Right. That yeah. used to be a big deal. But that's not enough because now you want to get on a TV show. But then you get on a TV show. That's not enough because now you want to make your own TV show. You make your mm -hmm. own TV show. Well, that's not enough because you want to get another season. You get the yeah. other season. Well, that's not enough because now you need a break. You've been working too hard. Like <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. your break, but you know, that's not enough. Like now that you've gotten the break, you feel like you're fuck. Maybe I'm a little irrelevant now. I got to get it back out there. Now you get back out. So the entire time, nothing has really changed that much. Yeah. Except the hedonic for, treadmill. Yeah. The hedonic treadmill is an attempt to escape, uh, to, 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 is a, is a very, um, sophisticated way of imagining that you're going to cure your suffering by adjusting the phenomena around you. So it doesn't work. And yeah, yeah, all the privileged fucks who say that, it's like, yeah, all right, but you have plenty of money in uh, your bank account. Yeah, you're, give, you're, give me the money and let me see for myself if yeah. it, if I really don't like this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but and again, but that that is like another thing that I love about right. Buddhism is it really isn't, you, you can't really do what Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche called um, spiritual hitchhiking. Like it really isn't about like jumping into someone else's vehicle and, mm -hmm. and riding that to like enlightenment or something. It's like the, the idea is you, your life situation, no matter how depraved or how, pure, no matter how impoverished or how privileged is going to have within it an experience of fun of suffering or what is known as fundamental dissatisfaction. And, um, what's wonderful about that is that it is within that fundamental dissatisfaction in the same way they say, like where there's a, and you, maybe you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but a lot of times where if there's a plant that's poisonous, there's going to be an antidote nearby within the environment. There's some antidote you can find within the suffering, within the dissatisfaction there, the antidote exists within mm. that thing itself. So the, 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 or the cage is the key. The jail is the liberation The you know what I mean? The, this is the, the, the puzzle quality of it, I guess you could say. So, um, but the first step is to stop running away from the dissatisfaction. So that's called meditation. So the first step is we're not going to run away from this for a second. It doesn't have, we can go back to running away from it, but first we're going to sit still for uh, 20 minutes and we're just going to watch our, the phenomena of all these systems intertwining are in, in our bodies and outside our bodies. We're just going to watch that and we're going to watch we're going to watch it. We're not going to label it either. Just going to watch. And if we do label it, the labeling won't be that sophisticated. And so there's, it's called noting, N-O-T-I-N-G, noting. So we'll, we'll notice thinking. So when we start thinking, we're going to think thinking. When we feel strong emotions, thinking, mm -hmm. and that's it. 
So yeah. this is and so within that suddenly you begin to realize that the thing you were calling boredom is actually a little more complex than boredom. You realize that it's like a lot of right. different things meeting together. And then you also realize the thing I was calling boredom, it's not always boring. And then you, be, you know what I mean? And then, then within that, uh, just the, just sitting and watching. Cause really, I mean, it's it, like, if you really look at like society, if you really look at your own life, if you really look at what you're up to, then you'll realize you're always doing something. Always. You're always up to something. You have some agenda. You're whether it's eating, taking a shit, writing a book, getting better, getting worse, getting drunk, whatever the fuck it is you're doing, always an agenda. And so what seems what seems to be fairly mundane to a lot of people is actually quite novel, which is, okay, what happens if you just stop moving for a second? What happens? Why? And even another interesting question is, why can't you mm -hmm. like it seems like you should be able to sit still? It doesn't burn a lot of calories. It's see, you know what I mean? You get to save up all that energy that you've been like exerting all the effort to get. Theoretically, sitting still should be easy as fuck. And yet it's hard. It's yeah. hard. People don't want to do it. You don't want to sit down. You don't want to sit still just for 10, 20 minutes. Why? 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 And that is a very important question. I think that question is the X on the treasure map. And, um, you know, just the, 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 the so that in Buddhism, that's why meditation is, is a practice. You know, it's mm -hmm. a, a prescription. Let's see what happens if we just sit and watch ourselves and don't label. And if we do label, it's just thinking. And so that, uh, that's, you know, I think why you would like Buddhism, Shane, is just because there, depending on the lineage, there's really isn't a lot of theism going on there. There really isn't a lot of like, and in fact, it, 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 you, if in Buddhism you drop your rational mind, then I then. I don't know if you're like, that is not what I have heard. The recommendation is for, you know, mm -hmm. practicing Buddhism. And also another part of Buddhism is like kind of letting go of the term itself. Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I like the idea of boredom being a lot of different things. Cause it can also be reframed in so many different things. And the, the almost the exact same act, almost the exact same neural firings can be, um, boredom, peacefulness, laziness, uh, uh, enlightenment, it, like that, that same, you know, I've one thing over the last few years, I've gotten really comfortable laying in bed, like just, just laying and contemplating is one of my favorite things to do. I have so many terrific thoughts. I come up with so many amazing ideas. It, some of them are really end up being productive, but also some of it's just very enjoyable for myself. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm good at entertaining myself when I allow myself to do that. And, uh, and it used to just be like, Oh, I'm, I should be doing something right now. And I, I'm being lazy right now. Or I'm wasting time and, and changing that, 
that relationship to that. It's the exact same act is now something that I think is one of the most one of the most rewarding and best parts of my day, and one of the best things for my career. Just everything else, and I sit and meditate as well. But even even just uh, even just laying and contemplating, not distracting myself with the TV or whatever else, is is uh, incredibly useful. Now, so. The next step then is who is entertaining who. Mm -hmm. And so this, this is the, if you, you know, there's a story, um, there's this, uh, Jack Cornfield's teacher was this, it was called Ajahn Chah. And he, you know, was doing this severe, uh, like Theravadan Buddhism, uh, just out in the forest meditating, like isolated, sitting and sitting and apparently having all kinds of mystical things happen to him. I'm getting very excited about this, like seeing deities and just like, wow, it was a lot of fireworks happening. Mm -hmm. And so he goes and he finds this sage that lives out in the forest to essentially like, I guess you could say brag, like, oh, I'm having all these visions and I'm blah, blah, blah. All the cities, as they're called, these like potential things that human beings can do. And the person, the sage says to him, you've missed the whole point. It's not the experience. It's the question is, who are these experiences happening to? Mm -hmm. Great. You're having a fireworks show, but who is having the fireworks show? And so this is where we start getting into the root of suffering. And the root of suffering is the identification with an I and the, 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 this this is like where things get for me really cu really curious with Buddhism, uh, and where Buddhism has a synergy with like high doses of LSD or uh, high doses of psilocybin, which is um, something can happen where you're just not there anymore, and not like you're not there in the sense of like oh wow I'm not you're thinking God I'm not here anymore, but you're not there in the sense that suddenly you come back to yourself and you're like, you realize I, I was gone. And in that goneness in, in the red, which is always a, in retrospect, there's a sense of liberation, a feeling of, I want to be like that forever. Mm -hmm. And if you spend any amount of time thinking about, wait, what I'm saying is that I've recognized that my attachment to my identity structure and my, crystallization of reality by projecting onto it a set of assumptions and, and, and explanations that I do instantaneously moment to moment is actually what is causing the suffering of my human experience, which is why what's really funny about Buddhism is that, or a lot of these kinds of traditions is like the you that gets interested in it is not the, is not going to make it through. <laughs> it's like it's going to get evaporated through this practice, not mm -hmm. evaporated in a horrible way, but dissolved, essentially. And so uh, and, and that's called liberation. That's liberation. And uh, and it's a, it's it's sounds spectacular and crazy, but it really isn't at all because it's just what you already are. It's what you are. It's what you're going to be. It's what you are when you get anesthetized. It's what you are when you're when you're when you die. It's what you're going to be. It's what you were before you were born. 
It's what you are now. But because you have this sentience associated with all these systems interacting with each other. And by the way, I'm not saying eternal life or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You have all this sentience associated with all these systems. The, the uh, you're Not just your own self, but this relationship you're having with your environment. It's produced a spectacular kind of prison. It's amazing. How would you not <laughs> identify with this self? You know, yeah. how would you not think you are something? I mean, obviously you're something, right? You right. look down, you've got a body. You have all these thoughts appearing in your mind. You have a body of work. You have all this stuff around. You have the things that you do. Surely I'm a thing, but it's like, well, all right. I mean, you are a thing, I guess, in the sense that you have a body, but how much are you control? What are you controlling the, your cells? Are you controlling your heart? Are you controlling your metabolism? How about the uh, creation of like a breathing? How about you transforming um, visual stimulus into something your mind can understand? Or when sound waves are vibrating your eardrums, how much of that are you controlling? How much time are you spending doing any of that stuff? In fact, what the fuck are you doing? Most of the time, you don't remember what you're doing. You can't remember what you ate two days ago. You go to sleep, you stop existing, you wake up, you're there. You ignore the I stopped existing part. And you imagine in all of this, you weave together this incredible essentially imaginary friend and that's you you know yeah. and 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 that would be great if only that imaginary friend didn't have all these things it needed and wanted and all this stuff you know and so we end up playing this game that is called samsara based on a kind of ignorance mm-hmm. of the reality of, of of formlessness in our own lives and so that that's the why buddhism doesn't just it's not just suffering the first two noble truths are about, uh, you know, there is suffering and um, why we suffer. But then the second two are about how to stop that problem and uh, or how to sort of um, no longer be so identified with the identity. And, 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 and that's, a, that's very exciting. Uh, it's a very exciting proposition, which uh, is not faith-based. It's a system. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Systematic I, deconstruction, maybe you could say. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, one of my favorite topics and things to think about is uh, lifespan development and just the, as we're kind of talking about the self and I mean, in, in any, it, in a given day, we we can all be many different selves and put on many different hats, but it's especially um, pronounced over a lifespan where you go from uh, being a baby to infant to a toddler to you know developing. You go through puberty and then juvenile, and then you, you know you become a full adult, and then you realize, oh wait, I wasn't quite a full adult, and then you get older, and and there's. And there's different things that have to happen. There's different. Yeah. There's there's times when you need to maybe, uh, uh, or or certainly in our ancestral past, uh, around the time you'd normally meet a mate, around the time you'd normally uh, start fo- focusing less on mate, meeting new mates and more on raising family and that sort of thing. And I I kind of I find myself wondering as I you know praise small incremental gains and in uh you know understanding and getting right with these plateaus and like oh that was foolish of me to 
to think my dreams are going to be everything 20 years ago or whatever. And I, I sometimes wonder is, is what I think now because of the accumulation of knowledge and the things that I've learned, or is it simply the shit that I'd be thinking no matter what, because it's just where I'm at in life right now. We're just kind of at a good age to be like, understanding plateaus you know and because i i i once i met this guy uh i i hated school so much and i didn't it's probably why i have a part of the reasons why i have a science podcast i beat myself up for like not going to college and not taking school more seriously and having such kind of a knee-jerk contrarian um attitude toward it but i met this guy um uh, a few years back uh, that, uh, was at this, uh, mushroom retreat in Jamaica. I did So I spent the, you know, like a week and a half with, with a group. And one of these guys there, he, he was like, no genius. He wasn't dumb either. He just seemed like an average intelligence, uh, guy. And he was, he was talking about how when he was a kid, he went to ski school. He, he was, really really from a very very early age like six or seven or something like that he just had the goods and they started training him to become an olympic skier and so he just went to school where he skied for eight hours a day and then they would have like an hour or maybe two hours of classes in a day, like, you know, yeah. math or history or whatever right. else. And this dude's just like average intelligence. <laughs> like, you mean I could have just been fucking skiing? Yeah. That, that whole oh time. my God. Oh my God. <laughs> the best. If only. <laughs> And it accrued the same amount of knowledge or whatever else. And again, it's like that accrued that that idea of like that we're kind of knowledge repositories or some shit. Like the goal is right. to fill up our 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 mind with information, and through that, filling up the mind of information through the ability to categorize and subcategorize and sub subcategorize. You know, Jesus Christ, man, I watch Jeopardy. Anytime I watch Jeopardy, I just think like I'm clearly brain damaged, right? Because like I don't know the answer to any of these questions. And some fucker in Jeopardy is like literally they'll ask anything. Geography, uh, yeah. obscure facts about film. They literally know <laughs> everything. And like, but and but so this Yeah, is, but you're a concept guy. That's trivia. That's it, that's it, just grinding it out doesn't memory. Mean it doesn't mean <laughs> right, shit right. other than the fact that your nervous system or your like your personality or your the sum total of your experiences happen to be sponge like and you're good at suctioning up information and maybe even connecting that information together in ways that benefit your community that's great but it's not it doesn't really mean much that's the point it's like not a big deal and so when you get around people who have started stumbling upon this, it can be very frustrating if you have any kind of narcissism in you or if the need to be worshipped or any kind of thirst for attention because, like, you know, they're not really going to be that impressed. It's not that impressive, really, because they've maybe achieved a kind of understanding of a, a bigger picture, which is one in which, like, yeah, great. 
you've got a lot of, you know, you know so much. Mm. Or like, wow, you're loaded. You have so much. Or wow, look at how muscular you are. Amazing. I mean, if you look at all these things from the perspective of um, emptiness or the, uh, the deconstruction of the self or however you want to put it, the, um, the, the, the reality of there being no fundamental self, then really all you're seeing is just various sort of poses people are taking on, uh, you know, in, in, as they dissolve into oblivion. <laughs> and there's something really poignant about that. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, you know, it is, I'm not, it, there's a, it's good to do that. I mean, we are in the world. We are at some kind of like, you know, subjective, I don't know, some kind of dance party, I guess you could say, or some weird roller skating rink where people zip by and do their cute little tricks. Like someone goes by with their hands in the air and their feet out uh, the roller skating rink. And everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. Here's somebody like makes a rocket and orbits the planet with William Shatner. You know what I mean? Or like, wow, Bezos, all these fucking people, Elon Musk, you know, they're just the people doing tricks at the roller skating rink, man, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's going to close. The roller skating rink closes. It closes for a human after about 60, 70 years yeah. in the last 10 or 20 years of the roller skating rink of your life. Uh, the fucking circuitry starts blowing out, man. The <laughs> music doesn't sound right anymore. The rink has some chips in it. The skates start fucking up. You know what I mean? You can't remember your tricks as well. And guess what else is happening? New people have come in who are way better at roller skating than you. Like they don't give a fuck about your tricks 20, 30 years ago. So yeah. it's like this, this is, this is why it's so important to, um, be here now, as Ramnas puts it. To this is it. Get used to the that this is where you're at right now. This is it. It's not getting better than this. This is it. Mm -hmm. All those people who went into the who were working at the candle store when the tornadoes just hit, they might have had some idea, a five-year plan, 10-year plan, vacations right around the corner, some important goal that they were about to reach. So, you know, maybe they thought they were going to hold their grandkids and that was when they're going to experience real happiness. They got ripped apart by a tornado and they didn't expect that to happen. And so that's why, you know, the idea is the invitation from a lot of these traditions that I love is to just be in this place. And while you're here in this place, uh, see what happens if you drop your agendas. Mm. Can I read a poem to you real quick? I brought a poem. I would love that. This, <sighs> this guy's fucking awesome. Steven Dobbins. I'm obsessed with him right now, but yeah, I think you'll like this. <clears throat> Take a sip of my, Essentia. I fucking hate the name. I just grabbed it. It's somehow I'm just embarrassed to drink it because it's called Essentia. Okay. This is called Santiago, Five Men in the Street, number two. In the back of a garbage truck parked on a side street, five garbage collectors gobble a chocolate cake. The gift of a lady each would like to squeeze a lot. Sprawled in the gutter, a black dog licks his dick like there is no tomorrow. 
And no tomorrow either for the five men eating with grubby fingers, smearing the hand-cut slabs of thick black cake onto cheeks, chins, noses, and sometimes their mouths. That frosting dribble, that frosting dribbles sweetness like a cut wrist drips blood. And they suck it from their fingernails and gulp down the last crumbs. How disgusting, squawks a passing matron to her friend. Had they fathomed the fullness of the world's filth, they would never have entrusted their pristine garbage to these galoots. One puffs out his cheeks to make a poot-poot noise like a fart. (laughs) And the matrons scuttle off to eat sweet creams and read their lady poems. What a dreadful world. The immortal verses, the immortal verse of Keats versus a dog's red dick on the concrete. (laughs) Such contradictions make us rich. The black dog whacks his tail against the sidewalk. These garbage guys are his heroes, and the dog reckons that if he's polite, all five will let them lick their fingers clean. The hot sun baking his belly, his fleas idle for a change, the prospect of sweet things in his mouth. Why, if he could talk, He'd make a speech against the intellect, art, and math. What's so precious about what's not there? Into the trash with Einstein and his furious sums. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Isn't it fucking great? This guy is, this book is called Velocities. It's by Stephen Dobbins. And holy shit, what a great genius he is. Uh, you're the second person this month to uh, read a poem on this podcast, believe you it or not. You inspire us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, speak, you're, you're, I'm always, uh, I'm always impressed by your verbal fluency. And we, we were talking about when you're making the, the Jeopardy and the uh, Elon Musk and the skate trick thing, I, I was kind of thinking about how um, there's a, uh, I, I was talking with a, a neuroscientist who studies language and there was this surprising finding that she made which is in the brain processing region of the brain or the sorry the language processing region of the brain um it, she was like well we should we should put polyglots in mris and see you know this this structure must be massive in them or what you know you if you give an MRI to a New York city taxi driver, there's regions of their brain that are much larger that for spatial recognition and everything else. And so they did that. And it turns out people that can speak four or five different languages actually have less activation in the language processing uh, region of their brain. It's, it's that their brain just developed efficiencies that make it so effortless for that it requires yeah. so little glucose so little energy to just pick up a new language to pick up new words it's just effortless and then you meet uh, i i was uh i dated a lady for a while that spoke four or five different languages and when when i first met her it was like the most intimidating thing in the world and we hung out i'm like oh well i can do math and like she can't figure out a tip you know and 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 uh so we all have these these various natural inclinations and so as you were giving the skate rink example it was it's an important point that 
you know, uh, we we shouldn't, uh, uh, you know, worship any of these one things or, or, or think someone has a superpower or something like that. But at the same time, I think it would be uh, if, if we got better at identifying those sort of gifts that we all have that come natural to us and so that we can kind of be a little bit more self-aware and find our right niche, just like your the uh, what was the comics name that inspired Frank, um, uh, uh, the the guy who passed away. Oh, Freddie Soto. Freddie Soto. He, uh, you know, like he saw in you that that you would be well suited for this and that that you would like this more than becoming a psychologist. Hey, how do you how do you recommend people? I mean, there's just so many people out there that want to be doing something different than what they're doing. And there's there's some of the message that's come through this is like, yeah, but just be here now and be, but there are people that would be better fit in a, a situation that they're just kind of naturally suited for. Yeah, well, I mean, you get, the main thing, it's what better play, like the idea is start where you're at. And yeah. so- that that's really important. I mean, all the biggest mistakes. I just made a terrible mistake recently. I moved my entire fucking family out to a small town. My, you know, <laughs> my wife and I just decided that we were people who would like to live in a small town. We, yeah. It was a fantasy. We imagined that, like, even though we both lived in the city for a very long time, and even though we both really liked living in a city, we both made up in our minds, like, oh, you know, it'll be nice to be in the country, slow down a little bit. So we, and I guess it's idealism and it's really hilarious what, how much that people do that to themselves. So it's like, you know, first of all, it's very important to recognize that like where you're, where you're at is just where you need to be. I don't I, like, and I know all the fucking retorts to that because I've thought them all myself. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Retort all you want, but you're still where you're at. So you can, you can be there in one of two ways. You can be there in a sense that you have been trapped in some kind of awful situation, become a victim and feel completely imprisoned and caught and, and fucked in the most extreme way. Go ahead and do that. You go ahead and do that. If that's what you want to do, go ahead and do that. In fact, do it to its maximum. Just do it. Be that if that's where, where you need to be all the way. But um, there's another possibility, which is that you can, you know, begin to play around with the idea that you that that where you're at is great and that just maybe you've forgotten how much you've already done. Cause see, I think that's a problem. It's like people, you know, this is something Sharon Salzberg says that at the end of the day, when people are home, they think about the one stupid thing they did, you know, the one dumb thing that they did or said or mistake they made. And they forget all the little good things that they did throughout the day. And so this to me is, um, this is how we create a kind of micro cycle of like paralysis. I'm just, I like where you're at anytime. I'm just like, this is what I'm actually like, you know, this is really what I'm like versus this is what I would like to be like mm -hmm. right away. I feel very empowered, grounded. And, 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 and though that's where for me, all the, energy in the you know it's like what you're saying about these polyglots it's like 
all that extra energy that goes into hating where you're at. In Buddhism, it's called aversion. Hating your situation, hating your roommates, hating your family, hating whatever the fuck it is you're in, all the energy that goes into looking around and fucking just despising it and pulling out of the environment all the horrible things and weaving those things together into the story that you tell yourself every fucking day. You feel the, for me, it's like there's a feeling. Here's the feeling. Oh, that's a horrible feeling. It's bitter and angry and cynical. I attach the names to the feeling. That's the first step. So I have this feeling and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there's that feeling. I'm going to call that feeling uh, hate or anger. I'm going to give a story for that feeling next, right? So now I invent a story. Well, the reason I'm having that fucking feeling is because um, uh, my my mom died and, my, my, and she's never going to see my kids. She's never going to meet my kids. My mom will never, my children will never meet my mom. I will never get to watch my mom holding my kids. Ugh, fuck, man. What if I'd worked a little harder? If I'd worked a little harder, maybe I would have had kids that my mommy could have held, but then my kids wouldn't exist. Wow. Do I not want my kids to exist? Oh my God. What's wrong with me? I'm a horrible father. So this, this is, this is the, this is the beginning of, of the story that drives a lot of people to do a lot of stupid shit. So what happens if you just are where you're at for once? And instead of doing what's considered an aggression against yourself, which is how a lot of people start their careers. A lot of people think they have a career when they're just doing a prolonged suicide ritual because <laughs> they so don't like themselves that yeah. they're like, oh, I got to be a completely different person, have big fucking muscles, beautiful and lots of money and a lot of two, whatever the fucking thing is, right? So I'm going to try to kill myself. And then they like go through this thing to try to be something completely different. People will start meditation for the same exact thing. Mm. Like, I don't like where I'm at. This is fucked. I should be somewhere else. It's like, okay, well, maybe you should be somewhere else, but here's where you're at right now. And so to me, I, I think that the, the uh, there's all kinds of self-help books out there about how to achieve your goals and everything like that. But in the meantime, what happens if you start letting yourself for periods of five, 10, 20 minutes a day, just be what you are right now. Mm -hmm. Just lay off yourself for a second, man. Take a fucking break. Sit yeah. down and let yourself be as you are just for 20 minutes. Give yourself a fucking break. Like it's feeding you yourself, your heart. Think of your fucking heart. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? All the work it's doing for you. Yeah. It's just doing all this work and all the shit you're doing just to stay alive it's pretty profoundly incredible. And so anyway, that's to me what I try to do. And anytime I pull that off, man, it's like the result I was thinking I would get from years and years of sophistication and, and, or, or making myself more sophisticated. I have like, it's, it's already there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's to, to me, I think like, you know, that's, that's the, that's a, a, a something that that is what I've gleaned a little bit from my teachers, and I don't experience it all the time. But you know, the the the, the all my ideas about where I was going to be, I didn't think I'd ever have kids, mm -hmm. and I thought that to achieve some kind of bliss state or something like that, I needed to go to India. 
and meet a guru and be initiated and get secret information and work and work and work at some meditative lineage and let go of all my attachments and all that stuff. But uh, as it turns out, like those very things ha are happening to me just <laughs> by having kids and a family, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I don't, I don't know that there's a, I don't know what I'm saying other than I, I, I would recommend stop torturing yourself for a little bit. Just take a vacation. There's this newish book that I've listened to on a road trip. It's pretty short. Um, it, it's outside of the stuff I would normally read. I think it was, it was recommended by a, kind of a type A person. That's a, a friend of mine who's, in my opinion, kind of what you said. Works, works too hard, and they're already you know killing it, and they don't need to work harder. But they, but uh, and it so it changed her perspective. But it was the book's called Four Thousand Weeks, and it's this guy that. Uh, that basically he just tried every single life hack and he was just one of these guys that did the maximum efficient, you know, tried every single calendar system and every kind of various technique and email zero and everything. And he's like, yeah, I did email zero and I, I got so efficient at emailing that people just emailed me more. And so, you know, it was just this Sisyphean thing. And so a lot of it's about, I, I don't know, I think you you might uh, you might dig it. It's kind of a, a lot of the similar points that you're making. Can I, uh, here's a cheesy recommendation, Shane. Here's yeah. a cheesy recommendation. You try this. Anyone listening, try this. If you really want to cut to the fucking chase and you really want to cut to it, Here's what you do. And it sounds so obvious. And forgive me if I sound sanctimonious here. Um, and again, and it, this is really annoying. Probably going to sound a little annoying. Here's what you do. Go to the grocery store. Buy a sandwich. Drive through your city. Find someone who's out in the streets panhandling. And give them a sandwich. And yeah. see how you feel. Do that. If you really want to like, like cut to it yeah that's it and like you know ramdas's guru my guru neem Korle baba he said feed people that was it that's what i loved about him. people would try to write down shit that he said he would make them throw away their notebooks his big recommendation was not go meditate in fact he the the ramdas people would go and meditate and the story is like they would come back after these like long 10-day silent meditations month-long silent meditations and he would say to them, did you learn how to meditate? And he would sit uh, and make fun of like the meditative posture and laugh really hard. Like it was funny to him. Right. Yeah. And all, but what he would say is, if you want a mystical experience, feed people. And uh -huh. for some reason, many folks heard that and turned that into a lot of complex shit that had nothing to do with feeding people. But yeah. You know, if you really want to cut to it, if, no matter, just, just do that and, and then see what happens. And, uh, you know, the, the, um, if you're already doing that amazing, but for a lot of us selfish motherfuckers out there, we have heard so many stories about helping people who need help to the point that somehow we've begun to imagine that by hearing the stories, 
we're helping the people. You know what I mean? By watching the footage of the refugees, we're helping the refugees. By watching the, the, the peace workers, we have become peace workers. Not the case. If you really just want to, like, whatever your life situation is, just go by, don't, by the way, here's another thing people do is they think, well, I want to get 50 sandwiches and start a little soup kitchen and give it 50 people food. No, don't do that. In fact, eat half your fucking sandwich and give the other half and see what happens in that moment and see what happens. And, and then when you do that, as far as I'm concerned, you will experience, you will make contact with a true religion, or the real deal, or something that transcends all the symbol sets, something that's, and, and what's really awesome about it is you don't need a, a dude in a fucking costume telling you about that. You know, sorry if I happen to be that guy right now, but I'm not like, I'm not interpreting shit. You mm -hmm. don't need to go to a fucking place and you don't need to do anything because that's the religion. That is the religion. It's just go give some people food who are hungry. The, the, it does, it's not sophisticated. You don't need to know Latin. You know what I mean? The, and, 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 and just that's, that's what you do. Put down your fucking agenda. There's going to be plenty of time for you to become the greatest mountain climber on earth or learn 17 languages or cure cancer or Alzheimer's disease or bring world peace or whatever. But in the meantime, go there fucking people right outside your house who are literally yeah. fucking hungry as fuck. Yeah. Go bring I, them some food and I, see yeah. what happens. It's so simple that saying it, I feel like a total idiot and when you do it you'll feel like a total fucking idiot because you're like what am i doing that's how sick that's how crazy the world has gotten it's just the act of bringing food to someone will feel like you'll be like am i having an episode what's going <laughs> yeah. on here i'm bringing us food to someone on the streets i hope i'm okay you know what i mean it's like, yeah, yeah just do that and then and then and then somewhere along the, the practice of doing that, the next step will appear for you. I, I, I'm sorry. To, I just had this memory pop up because that's that's beautiful. You're absolutely I think I told you once on the show, I may not have, but I'll just repeat it. But one of the worst days, I, I was like, I, I was moving out of my old place in Malibu with I, I was, you know, on my crutches. I had a vacuum attached to a hole in my my foot and and I was moving into this dump with a bunch of like degenerate comics and uh you know took a real downgrade in my life and I uh, d uh you know lost my girlfriend everything else and uh just having and I left everything behind and I have some crappy like target furniture that I'm going to have to figure out how to assemble and I'm driving and uh, and I see this guy in the median in the street that just looked so much worse off than I was. I'm like, oh, my God, on, the, on my worst day, on my worst moment, it's like nothing compared to this guy's just life every day. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, it changed quite a bit for me. But the, the reason why I started giggling a little bit, I had I was in Minneapolis this summer on a particularly hot day. And I'm driving and I'm with a friend of mine and we drive by and there's this there's this woman in, in the median like asking for money or whatever. And I actually I ignored her at first and I looked at her and I'm like, 
oh, this this woman's like having heat stroke. Like there, there's this is she's bad usually, sure, but this is like I bet she's not normally like something's wrong. And I <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Yeah, I have I do have some money. I pulled out like a 10 or 20 or something like that. I'm like, will you do me a favor and just get out of the sun and go and get some shade and like yeah. a bottle of water for a minute. And I, I give her the money and she's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. She walks in front of my car and she just walks into traffic. Almost gets Jesus <laughs> all these fucking cars slam <laughs> on their brakes. I'm like, oh my God, I almost killed this woman <laughs> trying to give her 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like that would have been the most fucking traumatic memory of my life, but uh, anyway, just well, a to funny quote the Bhagavad Gita, <laughs> we have we have a right to our action. We do not have the right to the fruits of our action. Uh, <laughs> right, look, right. all you can do is help. After that, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like what right, you're right, not right, your, right, you know, right. But you know, yeah, again, uh, that to uh, me, it's like that is sort of the great big secret. You know, like if you want the yeah. big stupid fucking mystical secret of all things it's like yeah, yeah. so incre- it's all I, sometimes i fantasize that we're in a like a remedial class for like really like dumb godlings and yeah. that like pretty much the like in the whole human incarnation the the only thing that you're really supposed to do is get food to people like that's yeah. it it's like everyone's trying to do all this fancy shit but it's like really like everyone's like and they you know they think they're so fucking advanced and sophisticated but the whole time they've been like doing their thing they've ne- they haven't like maybe they donate to some organization that's great but they've never like actually taken the time to go and hand food to someone who's hungry yeah. the whole time and all yeah. their fabulous thinking all the many languages they speak and how fucking hilarious they are and all of their success and fame and all the cool shit they haven't done that and i I, and i feel and i feel like that is maybe the only reason we're here it's some remedial simulation where it's like all right we're gonna put you in again shade we're gonna drop you in for the 50 trillionth time and really remember you won't remember but follow that feeling you're just supposed to give people food see what happens when you do it it's it's really wild i'm I'm telling you it's like i'm sorry to be sanctimonious here i'm a selfish motherfucker and it's like like i'm just saying i would say give it a shot see what happens yeah, I, I love it. It's an important message. I think it's it's this is the time of year where messages like that tend to be, uh, you know, received a little easier for people as well. So uh, so it's a good time, especially this is a this is a especially hard time of year to be someone on the street. Yeah, as well. Um, but yeah, well, Duncan, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you sucked off that spider so many years ago and, uh, where, you know, a lot of, yeah, me too. A, a lot of people wouldn't have been brave or generous enough to do that. And, you know, and, man, I'm going to admit something as it turned out, it was just a dude in a spider costume. <laughs> Well, whatever it was, still the vibration part was still amazing. Now he had a radio. (laughs) It was a radio under the spider costume that was just. Well, the generosity is still, and the bravery was still there for sure. No, I paid him to let. I paid him to wear the costume. 
<laughs> well, either way, whatever inspired you to get here. <laughs> I'm so happy we're friends. Um, Me too, Shane. Yeah, I, I hope you have a lovely holiday with your family. And thank and, you. Um, and yeah, I've, I'm excited to uh, when are you moving back to LA. Summer. Cool. Well, everyone, check out the Midnight Gospel on Netflix. Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Thank um, you. And uh, anything else that you want to plug? Come see me in Austin. I'm going to be there uh, the week of January 8th at Vulcan Gas Company. Or if you're around the Nashville area, the weekend after uh, Valentine's Day, I'm going to be at Zany's. Fantastic. Duncan Trussell, everybody. Thank you, and Shane. Thank you. <laughs>